it's Nick Walters again with the National Industrial Hemp Growers Digest podcast brought to you by the National Hemp Growers Cooperative. And still yet again, we have been consistent with having great guests who've got great information that help us learn even more about the industrial hemp industry. And I'm tickled to death this morning to have Sarah Nichols on with SJ uh, Labs and Analytics uh, right out of the very uh, clear and cool morning uh, in the state of Georgia. And my tongue is solidly in my cheek because we know we're all uh, burning up already down here in the South. Sarah, good morning. Good morning. How are you? Very great. Thank you for joining us today. Absolutely. Thank you for the invite and for having me. Well, and let me just say at the very first off, uh, we just had our field day not too long ago. And um, we were very pleased to know that uh, SJ Labs came and uh, participated as a sponsor to help underwrite some of the costs to keep them down. And you helped sponsor a delicious dinner that we had of um, Mississippi Delta fried catfish, which was terrific. But not only that, mm -hmm. um, our friend at um, uh, Carla Boyd, who is with Hempway Foods in Colorado, she sent over some of her um, hemp food products, and we were able to have some delicious nachos made with some of her, her food because of, of your um, your help. So thank you again for doing that. So we uh, wanted to be able to tell you how much we appreciated your support for that. Absolutely. Absolutely. No problem. So tell us a little bit about you and kind of your background, and tell us about SJ Labs and analytics and, you know, What's a, what's a nice guy like you doing in the hip industry for something like this? Sure. So um, I didn't really expect to be here, to be honest. Um, I was born and raised here in Georgia and went to school. I got my master's in molecular genetics and biochemistry. Um, and I've worked my way around the industry since then. Uh, my most recent job was as a research scientist for a mining company, industrial mining company. Um and during the time where I started working there, Colorado became legal for recreational marijuana. I had some friends who I grew up with who moved out there, friends who I went to college with, um, who were much more into the connoisseur line of work. <laughs> and uh, they invited me out and I was really interested in the industry. I was interested from a science perspective because there was just so much ground that had been unturned. I was interested on these processes. And as I started looking into the industry, I saw where these analytical labs were the safety checkpoint between the processors and growers and the consumers. Um, I love the idea of having an analytical lab because then I could fund my own research, essentially. So uh, I came back to Georgia. That was the goal. And then when the hemp law in Georgia, when we allowed folks to start growing here in 2020, um, we went ahead and set up shop. I left my job and it's never looked back. It's been that ever since. So, that. so that's what you call, we call your, uh, we always like to know what your hip aha moment was. Your hip aha moment may have uh, started with some friends and, uh, who uh, greaterly appreciated uh, the sister plant. And then from the sister plant, <laughs> as we like to call it, greater leaves from the word. And then from from there, then that you were able to see your skill set. Hey, look, there's going to be lab needs um, uh, down in my neck of the woods. And um, 
swap some super cold winters for some very hot summers that you live well. So that is, <laughs> that would be cool. yeah, Colorado is gorgeous though. If you yes, it reminds I when I got back from Georgia, people said, "Well, what is Colorado like?" And I was like, "It's." pretty much like Georgia with less churches. Everybody lives <laughs> off the land. There's just not as many churches. So um, no, it, was, it was great out there. It was an awesome learning experience about the industry. And I'm happy to bring it back here to Georgia, especially as um, not only ours, our hemp industry expands, but also our cannabis industry as a whole. Sure. So tell us more about um, SJ Labs and Analytics. Kind of where is your footprint? Do you, do you do lab work anywhere and everywhere? Or do you... Mm-hmm. You do the cannabis uh, um, industry as well as the hemp industry, and um, how's that work? So, SJ Labs and Analytics is the first cannabis-specific testing lab in the state of Georgia. Uh, we offer the same services as you know, some a big lab out in Col- California or Colorado would. So, everything from a potency test all the way through your safety panels. Um, we, of course, work with hemp, so we are listed on the USDA site. We are uh, approved through the Georgia Department of Agriculture. We are a DEA licensed lab. We're registered with the state of Georgia. Um, and we will be working with the medicinal program here in Georgia to test those products. Um, we test for compliance. And then compliance is such a small factor of the hemp industry. I think a lot of people focus on testing and getting that compliance and that pass point. But really, the door to selling your product is having that certificate of analysis that shows that it's a safe product and you're getting paid on how well the CBD is or the CBG. Um, so your CBD points. And so having that at the end of harvest is also really important. So we work in several different faucets of the industry. We also work with um, defense attorneys, local police, all sorts of things, cannabis related. How about that? And so for our folks who are, are primarily growers, right, our, our folks who are farmer growers, and of course we call it the growers cooperative and not the farmers cooperative because so many of our folks have never grown uh, and never been in production agriculture before. Uh, and that's one, one of the things we think is the beauty of hemp is that, that it allows people who have not been participants before to really do some value-added things with their land. Uh, because of it, it, it being able to, I mean, it's called a weed for a reason, right? And so it will grow, okay, in so many different places. And so we think that's opportunities. But but walk us through real quick from the grower's perspective, kind of, let's say I'm brand new and I've never grown anything before. Why do I need a lab? What is that all about? How does that fit into my um, legal framework, particularly along those things where we've heard horror stories of the DEA showing up with a uh, gas can full of gas and some matches and, and, and watch my and watch my crop get burned up. What, what, help us understand how labs fit into that picture. I think I think the best way to think of a lab is your friend in risk management because uh, again, kind of taking a focus off of that one compliance test. Growing hemp is expensive, especially getting into the industry. When you are purchasing seedlings or you're working with a consultant and you're getting your land ready, there's cost associated with that. Well, the last thing you want to do is invest several thousand dollars per acre and then lose it at the end because you failed a compliance test. So it's really a risk management strategy. What I recommend to folks is once the plant starts flowering, you should be testing weekly, if not every 10th 
you know, 10 days max. What you're really looking for is a, there's a point in that curve of growth once it starts flowering where you're going to see the TH jump and it'll be linear. And then suddenly the line will just shoot straight up. And I call that a maturity point. So that's right where the point where it's somewhere around about 0.25%. You probably want to start getting in contact with your state or your sampler, whoever is responsible for that in your area and have them come take that out. Um, but it's anywhere from three to seven tests to reach that point. Now, if you're going blindly off of a schedule of either what happened last season or what your consultant said happened in California, you're really missing out on your opportunity to either maximize your growth period or ensure that you're getting it in within a compliant period. So there's two ways that it manages. You're getting the most out of your crop and the highest yield possible. You're also staying compliant. Um, and I think, and then after that, again, having a sellable product, you need to know how valuable is your product. So how much CBD did you get after everything's harvested? Um, once it's dried, you need to know, are there any microbial risk? Uh, did you have any pesticide? Even if you didn't use any pesticides, um, it may be that Johnny down the road is growing tomatoes and use some pesticides down there and that may have gotten on your crop. So you need to know that. Um, and that's really what these um, distributors are going to be looking for. So make a lab your friend, um, have a good relationship with them. You want somebody who um, is, of course, conflict free. So you want real results, but you definitely want to build that relationship and invest in risk management. Otherwise, you know, what was the point of the initial investment? Right, right. It's like people who, um, uh, maybe this is a silly analogy, but uh, uh, my niece uh, loved doing equestrian uh, and riding horses um, in high school. Uh, and that's not a, that's an expensive game to get into, right? You don't just kind of trip into it like you might um, grab a tennis racket and go out and, and hit the court. There's not that much cost invested in that for you to go out there and play some tennis. But you decide you're going to do a question, you're in, right? You've got mm -hmm. not only the, all the costs of the horse with the trailer and the this and going to the shows, and you're kind of into it. It's kind of maybe an analogy like that um, for, for uh, those that are getting into the CBD game in particular or others. Look, this, there's costs involved in all of this stuff. You can't explain or believe that it. it's, it's not like you're going to go grow an acre bunch of, of tomatoes and go sell them down to the local farmer's market, right? I mean, mm -hmm. this is a, and so part of that cost is making sure that you are keeping your crop as valuable as possible because you want to get the best return out of it. And one of those components is making sure that you've got your testing in place. Um, right. You will not like the alternative from a legal standpoint if it goes the other direction, but also just because, as you're saying, the end user, the person who's going to buy it and the distributor that's going to process it unless, you know, they want to know and understand what the amount of, of CBD percentage is actually there, the points are, right? I mean, that works yep. um, And a processor doesn't want to process something that's going to leave chemicals behind in their system, you know, at high levels. So, um, yeah, it, I mean, that's exactly right. You're investing this much money to lose it. And this year has been a pretty unfortunate start to the season, at least here in Georgia. Um, 
these are veterans who I've been testing so far who have, who have some greenhouse grows. And we've had about a 66% fail rate wow. so far this year. And these, the veterans got really comfortable in these schedules, but then they were pushing the plant, new fertilizer programs or new, you know, trimming it different ways. And that complacency and comfortableness really backfired because, okay, well, I know what I did last year to, seasons ago this is how it should end up and it didn't um and even if we're not you know we know that we are having the hottest june in 10 years well how is that affecting going to affect your crop it's going to be a stressor um last year we had a really wet year so how is that affecting your crop so those play into how much thc is there and how fast that thc gets there just because the flower doesn't look mature. And that's a really important part. Just because it doesn't have the red hairs on it and it's not the size of your hand and it's not a super mature flower doesn't mean that it's not time for you to have the state test it. And then you kind of take advantage of the 30-day harvest period to maximize that growth. Um, but it is a little bit of a game and you need somebody there to help guide you through that. Um, and you need data to back up your decisions. So. There you go. There you go. Well, well, let's talk about um, genetics a minute. I think that's an interesting thing because I <clears throat> every once in a while I'll run across somebody that says, hey, we got genetics and have absolutely 0% THC. You know, buy our seed because of those pieces like that. How does that fit into uh, what a lab would do? Because some of their sales points I don't know if I'm and buying them or not, but I mean, some of their sales points are, oh, you're not going to need a lab. Uh, you're not going to need that at all because, you know, we've got no THC. So come on down and buy a bag full. Uh, I'd be interested to know your perspective on that. Just from a scientific perspective, the claim that it would never have any THC um, is pretty difficult to back up. If it's a cannabis sativa variety crop, which is what hemp is, it always has the potential to make THC, um, especially under stress conditions. You know, even CBG crops, which have lower THC than CBD, still produce THC, and they still have the potential under the right conditions to go hot. The other side of that is these generational collapses. So the plant doesn't have, when we start messing with genetics, we may hit one target, but we may end up causing some other issues. For example, CBG plants, which again have low THC, they're, it's not completely not detectable, it is lower. They run into the problem of mold. Uh, they're particularly um, susceptible to botrytis, for example. Um, and once you get it on that plant, CBG doesn't react well to getting it off. So we've had 15 acres go under with gray mold literally overnight in about two days. So when we start removing and taking away cannabinoids and selecting for things, we sometimes end up with problems that we didn't foresee. So um, I would caution folks that if it sounds too good to be true, it probably is. Um, that certainly doesn't mean that it's not worth trying that seed and seeing how it works in your growth cycle. Um, but again, keeping in, keeping in mind that something developed in a greenhouse in Oregon is probably not going to perform the same way down in Texas. Um, those are just vastly different 
growing climates. Right. right. Um, so there's a lot to consider. Oh, yeah, there, uh, there's just a lot to consider. I would take any claim as a grain of salt until you can prove it to yourself. And bearing in mind that it can always change. We've seen CBG crops come back in a couple generations and they have CBD back in them. So that's CBG, CBD variety. Um, genetics are genetics are funky. When we start taking clones, we're not really... Well, in the plant world, our clones, they only last so long. So we, um, you know, just be cognizant of that and and trust yourself. I would never trust anyone with my investment to say that I didn't need to be checked anywhere. I'd want somebody checking that work. If nothing else, just as a CYA, just to be sure that you've got yeah. internal comfort for myself. And then if anybody were to ask later, no, 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 here's a COA. I've already got that, you know, pulled together on it. And it may very well be in that particular year for that particular crop, for that particular time, it could be that their that their claims could be correct. But do you thought is, yeah, but do you really want to you really want to risk that? Okay. Unless right. there's you know, unless there's some money back guarantee that goes along with it. And not only money back for what I paid for the seed. But how much of my crop then would have given me my money back on what I could have made uh, out of this crop, but having to have uh, uh, not been able to make that claim. And I don't, I haven't heard anybody make those claims if they're ready to go. There. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, not just, and again, thinking of the lab as oh, it's only this one test, there's one compliance. Your lab is really a benefit to you to learn your crop, to figure out how it's performing week to week, to figure out whether this is good for your growth cycle. We have in Georgia, when we started, um, one of the crops that every, you know, North Carolina, all these other uh, Southern states who had done this before was cherry wine. That was the big, the big one. Everybody worked with cherry wine. It didn't fail. So on and so forth. Cherry wine didn't do good in Georgia. It did not do well. Um, Wife was really successful, was one of our really successful early crops here in Georgia. And wife wasn't performing well in other states. So, if you aren't testing or you're just taking somebody's word for what worked for them, I mean, North Carolina and Georgia aren't that far apart. You know, those should, if anything, perform similarly. Now you're talking about a greenhouse in Oregon to Georgia is completely, completely different. So that lab, you understand that as well. Yes, yeah. And, and that's why one of the reasons that we have a PhD agronomist is our chief agronomist on staff with us. Is to help think through those things. You know, it's part of the reason, quite frankly, that we don't recommend any Chinese variety of seed just because you can't, you, it's, they're too inconsistent. It's not a matter of whether they'll grow or not. The question is, is you know, um, um, how well do they grow and do they grow hot and do they not grow hot and is there consistency? And very often there's a lack of consistency uh, in, in what. Uh, you're actually getting from that seed. And so that's, okay. it's a whole, we've it's had, a whole, you probably see that too, right? Yeah, we've had guys who ended up with um, trial seed packets and one of them was CBD and the rest of the, you know, nine of the 10 seeds were all real marijuana plants. So um, there's, and they came out of the U.S. So yeah, there's a consistency. These, you got to find, and I guess the, 
takeaway for the entire industry is you have to find somebody you trust. And what I learned about the, you know, farming industry and the agriculture industry um, coming from a corporate world is this is a very handshake, word of mouth, take me for my word kind of industry has been for centuries. And um, corporate doesn't necessarily operate that way. So you have these two very different business models clashing together. And some of the corporate entities aren't doing their best to take care of the farmer, the grower they're trying to make fast money. And so I, I caution farmers to be a little more in, you know, on your like suspicious side um, in this industry, especially until you, somebody can really prove to you what, what they're saying. Right, 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 right. No, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir sister. So yeah, that's exactly, I mean, that's exactly the way that we, that we would put it together as well. So let's talk about one more thing real quick before we um, get back to your um, uh, real job. Um, why is, I've, I've, we've heard some of these conversations about um, uh, no THC, I mean, raising the THC level uh, uh, to 1%. And part of that reason um, is because, quote unquote, it's going to be so much cheaper for you to not to have to have a lab. And you don't have to have lab work. And so if you've got the genetics that are no THC or you run a little bit hot or you get it 3.6 or, you know, or 0.36, I should say, or whatever, you know, it doesn't mean you have to bring your crop. So that may not be, a, obviously, you have some thoughts around that world, but I'd be interested to know kind of what are some things that maybe folks are not thinking about on the flip side of that that are some downsides of conversations. Yeah, I think it's, important to answer this question that we go back to why the lab exists in the first place. And this happened when California passed their medicinal cannabis bill back in, I believe it was 98-ish, some, sometime around there, don't quote me on that, late 90s. They were the first on the map. Well, their cannabis program did not roll out smoothly. There were issues getting quality and consistent products to the consumer, and there was issues getting safe and uh, safe products to these medicinal clients. So a group of scientists got together in California. They saw the problem. The industry was flailing. And they said, the answer to this is we need to test it. We need to label it. And then that way we know the consumer knows exactly what they're buying. And we know it's safe product that's getting to these patients. Oregon came around a couple years later and began their medicinal cannabis program, they used these California scientists guidelines for testing. And that has been the precedent for every cannabis medicinal recreational program in the country ever since. Okay. Hemp is cannabis, period. And so the same risks that exist with a medicinal or recreational cannabis are the same risks that exist with hemp. And that risk, in my opinion, is not your THC. A high THC may get you stoned, a 1% THC is probably not going to affect you very much, but that's not the risk factor for this plant. The risk factor for this plant is your mold potentials, your mycotoxins, pesticides, especially for crops that are grown outside. Um, in Georgia, we have our mosquito trucks that go around. So we have PBO on nearly everything that's grown outside. So pesticides important heavy metals. We also have arsenic in our old tobacco fields. So that becomes problematic. We need to know whether that's there or not. 
um, and residual solvents for products that we're making, like tinctures or oils. We need to know, are there any, is there any ethanol left over, heptane or whatever, butane or whatever these guys are using to extract. That's a really important safety factor. So from a lab standpoint, and, and the industry doesn't succeed unless the consumer has trust in the validity of it. And if we don't hold ourselves to a safety standard, we're never going to get the consumer on board in mass. So a lab isn't just, are we under the government guideline of this, frankly, very arbitrary number, whether it's 0.31%, whatever, it's arbitrary. Um, but rather, do we have product that's safe either for a consumer to consume, for a processor to use to make something for consumption later. Even from an industrial hemp standpoint, if you're coming into, um, you're making this into pulp, for example, and you have these, uh, you have high sulfur from uh, pesticide, that's gonna, it, that's gonna affect that pulp quality. So knowing what chemicals are going in is really, really important at the end game. And it doesn't just come down to where am I at on this arbitrary scale between hemp and marijuana that the government defines? So I say there's always a place for a lab. And in fact, I argue that the success of the industry depends on um, the processors and growers working together with lab to make sure that we have consumer support. And that goes through with safety and transparency. And some of that's just going to be just flat out marketplace where people who are, are purchasing those those products on the back end, they want to know that it was grown, you know, seed to shelf. How was it grown? What was the carbon footprint for, that went into that? Did we did you practice organic or regenerative ag practices as you were growing all of that? As a consumer, they people want to know all of that stuff, right? And want to know all of that along the way. And so I don't know how you get to an end like that and being able to put a stamp on something and go, yep, this is good if you don't do any testing along the way. I don't know. Yeah, don't absolutely. Know. And I think you're going to see as regulators become more comfortable cannabis, particularly in the South, um, they're going to realize, because there is more regulation around hemp in other states that have other cannabis programs, they're going to start to realize, oh, okay, how much ethanol is here is really important. So we need to regulate that that has to be done. I think you're going to see hemp regulation, particularly products that are making it to the consumer side. They are going to start to look like the medicinal or the recreational regulation. The reason being, again, the safety risk, your safety risks aren't shifting between a hemp and a marijuana crop for consumer's sake. So I think you start to see regulations match that. Um, and all of those regulations revolve around you got to have it tested. So. Yeah, there you go. Terrific. Hey, Sarah, tell us how folks can learn more about um, uh, SJ Labs uh, and analytics. And uh, if we want to come check it out and have an opportunity for you to, uh, you and your crew to be our lab, where where might I find you on that worldwide web? So our website is SJ labs and analytics.com you can google us we're the first thing to pop up i think 
for us. Um, our phone number is 478-259-7564. We're on Instagram at SJ underscore labs, though I will tell you I'm not an Instagram savvy person. I'm, you know, not great at marketing there, but yeah, uh, feel free to reach out through our website. Um, give us a call. We're happy to answer any questions for you guys. We have some information that we can share with you um, that helps you plan out your grow season and budget for a lab, which may not have been your first thought when you were getting in this industry. So, um, however, Google will Google will help you find us. <laughs> and you also to this SJ Labs with an S, right? Mm-hmm. Labs. And analytics is one word. Right. Yes, and yeah. And you work all over the country, right? So no matter where somebody might be listening, you'll, um, you know, be able to do lab work wherever. Just because you're in Georgia doesn't mean you just hang out and only do things in the South. Right. Yeah, our DEA license allows us to um, work within the full spectrum of hemp and the USPS allows hemp to be shipped over state lines. I will add a caveat to that, that, um, I do have a responsibility. Should I suspect that somebody is intentionally growing for mischievous purposes to report that, um, you know, like I said, genetics are weird in this industry. We've had strange things come up. I'm not, I'm not looking to, rat out a good hemp farmer but if we have a you know in other words don't send me your illegal stuff that <laughs> puts me in a bad position so um anything that you believe is hemp can be shipped through usps um and we're happy to test that for you okay. hey look you, you may like your customers but you like that dea license even more because it took you a, a long time and it's expensive to get it and and, and uh uh, nobody's going to take that risk, so we get that. So that's yeah. Hey, Sarah Nichols with SJ Labs and Analytics, our guest today, talking about lab work and why that's important. Go check out our website and and um, um, connect with them. Uh, they may be just the lab that you need and, and be able to be just they've got the, uh, the ability to do it and they've got uh, – um, Probably uh, some um, interesting and maybe even better customer service because they are um, not so big that they can't um, answer a phone call or be able to talk directly to a, talk directly to, to you as a grower. And if you want to know more about the National Hemp Growers Cooperative, we would love to let you check our website out at nationalhempcoop.us, where you can hear not only previous guests from our podcast but also learn more about what we're doing in the hemp industry to live up to our model of growing wealth for our members through regenerative agriculture and sustainable development. Sarah, thanks again. Thank you so much. This podcast produced and distributed by MWB Studios.